This is the Conquer Local Podcast, presented by Vendasta, with your host, George Lee. This week we go to London, England, and Rami Sembi is joining us. Rami and I spoke on a panel recently at Microsoft headquarters all about sales. I recognize right away that this guy is a leading sales trainer in the UK. He's trained all over the world. We're going to get him on the podcast, put him on the hot seat and find out what are some of the key things that reps should be doing? How do sales reps deal with rejection and how do you see sales changing in the next five years? It's all coming up. Rami Sembi from Aura Sales on the Conquer Local podcast next. Well, ladies and gentlemen, here we are. It's another edition of the Conquer Local podcast. We are going across the pond, as they say, to London, England. And uh, Romy Sembi is joining me from Aura Sales. And Romy, welcome. Thank you very much. Joe. Pleasure to be here. You know, the last time that uh, you and I met was about a month and a half ago when we were on a panel at uh, the Microsoft headquarters in London. And I heard your presentation. I'm like, I got to get this guy on the podcast. Um, <laughs> you know, when you look up salesperson in the dictionary, there's a picture of you and me. <laughs> we're in the Hall of Fame already. We're, we're right there. <laughs> you know, we just did the handprints in Hollywood. <laughs> well, that's the only thing missing. There should be a walk of fame for salespeople. There should be. Yes, yeah, everyone knows there's something called the salesperson's graveyard, but there should be the Hall of Fame as well. <laughs> Well, what I really appreciated about your presentation, and, and you touched on some really interesting topics, but what I really appreciated was I, I didn't once question whether you walk the walk and talk the talk. You, <laughs> you've you done this. And then when we got to speak afterwards, we really dug into some of your training techniques and, and you're training salespeople all over the world. That's right. Um, done North America, Asia. Northern Europe, and I've gone into far-flung locations within Eastern Europe as well. So all those uncharted territories as well. So, yep, I've been there and done that. And this career of you training salespeople has been ongoing. How many years have you been at this? I've been running for 15 years, but obviously prior to that, I've worked for numerous organizations and was a salesperson myself many, many years ago. And led. By, and I think one of the main philosophies I've always had is it doesn't matter if you're a sales trainer or not, you lead by example. And that's really been my main motto from day one. Yeah, you know, it's pretty easy to tell a sales trainer that's never been on a sales call. And salespeople always pick those ones up. <laughs> and then they disengage and go on their phone and uh, text their friends and say, why am I in this stupid meeting for 25 minutes? So and let's they're just, you're right. And they're always clock watching. <laughs> let's dig in a little bit about some of the things that you're seeing in the space. And specifically, I'd like to talk about the last couple of years. How do you see that sales is changing here in the last couple of years? I think the biggest change I believe is you can't force customers to buy. And, you know, your historical way of training was always really question your customer, you know, lock them down on what's important. And you used to see that in the behaviors of the sales managers coaching these salespeople. And then it was always about, let's close these customers down. Let's close that deal. Let's close that deal. And customers these days are far more astute. Um, customers have choices. Customers will always get a second opinion, even though they may say they're the decision maker. They're always running it past someone, whether it's you know a small independent business checking it with mum and pop or husband and wife, or your large corporates dealing with multiple decision makers, or as I call them, buying influencers. So, I think if there's one fundamental change. I would say, or well, the biggest change has been 70% of the sale, I believe, really happens 
once you put that phone call down or that face-to-face meeting and you go back for the second follow-up. And I think that's really been the big change over the last few years is that it, it's moving towards a second call or pre-booking appointment as opposed to those great glorious days of uh, you know bygone eras where you could sell and close there and then over the phone in one hit. Yeah, the the one call unicorn really is a unicorn because it's becoming a, a thing of the past. I I had the I was with a partner on Friday morning. I arrived in Toronto, went to see a partner of ours, the guy who runs the place, good buddy of mine, looks at me, says, Hey, um, sales trainer's sick today. Do you think you could do a quick one hour session with our team? Um, and, and I was sitting with a group of newbies. They're a couple weeks in, they'd been through the training, been through the product training, and I found myself setting, you know, working on the setting expectations portion, uh, a lot of the session, because I believe that that setting expectations, um, saves us a lot of challenges down the road when it comes to churn. And I found myself saying something that I don't think that I would have said 10 years ago. And that is don't ever lie to the customer. Not that I wanted them to lie 10 years ago. It's just that I, I don't want salespeople to make that mistake because the, the client will know you're lying. <laughs> you're so right, George. Customers cross-reference everything. Um, even when you're in the midst of a phone conversation, you know this. You can hear the, the fingers of the keyboard you know, tapping away, double-checking, cross-referencing you as well as an individual. So I think there's nowhere to hide. From my, from my perspective, any product, any brand that's going to be launched in the marketplace, it has to make logical sense. It has to be a, relevant in the marketplace for someone even to make a commercial decision to buy that product. And if it isn't, just just trying to get salespeople to say something for the sake of it, do you know what? Your customers will never buy and you'll never have return customers, let alone retention. So what are what are some of the key um, skills that a salesperson needs to have or needs to develop, in your opinion? I think one of the, and this sounds like a bit of a cliche, I think salespeople today, you need to have that drive. You need to have the want to succeed and equally have the work ethic. If you've got those fundamental foundations, the biggest tip I can give to any salesperson is whatever you sell, sell with logic. As long as it makes logical sense, you can always bring it to life. And if anything, the tip I always give to salespeople when they first begin their career is believe in yourself, but more importantly, believe in your opinion. And it's something I say to a lot of times to salespeople is, there's no you're not entering the world of right and wrong you left those days in school okay and what i mean by that george is everything a salesperson says is right i'll tell you the reason why i believe that is because if you think it's right because it's your opinion i may not agree with your opinion but that doesn't mean your opinion's wrong and if a salesperson can have that mindset at least when they're dealing with people a little bit more senior a bit more mature a bit more experienced you can still fight your corner because you believe in what you say is right so number one rule for any salesperson Believe in your opinion and believe that your opinion is right and it will always come across over the phone and face-to-face. You know, I was working with a sales manager one day and I was listening to his presentation and he would always make a statement and then he would back off from the statement. And it basically took away from everything that he had just said in the last minute and a half. And I bet you if you look through his sales team, they were following that leadership as well. So we made that one little, I said, leave that last part out. You said something that was very compelling. And then the thing you said after, is that where you're getting when, when you talk about this believing in your opinion? Totally. Because if you do come across, you know, sometimes salespeople 
don't come across assertive enough. And, you know, there's a fine line between being assertive and aggressive. But if you know what you've said makes complete sense, you'll come across so logical with such a level of oomph, customers will understand and believe it. And equally, the power of pausing, when you know what you've said is right, you can pause. You don't have to, you know, it's not the first person in loses. Let your customer engage with the, in the, what the view or the opinion you've shared because you can logically reason back. And if anything, you still want your customer to talk more than you. And that's still one of those cliche key qualities every salesperson should know. You know, the customer should be talking more than you. But that comes down to that key thing. Are you asking the most relevant question to engage with that customer? But going back to your point, yes, you need to say something factual. And pause, let the customer take it on board, let the customer digest it, and let the, let the customer come back, because if you know it's right, you've always got an answer to come back with. How do we teach that skill of the relevant question so that you always have it available? And it's not a script. It's got to be listening and actively listening and positioning. Like, how do you teach that? I think the biggest game changer I see, and I see this countless of sales floors I work on. And you now I work on sales floor where there could be fifty salespeople, a hundred aircraft hangers, uh, and your small, you know, small independents. But I think the way I've learned how to teach salespeople to question is: do not give them a script. The amount of salespeople, and it doesn't matter how junior or experienced George I I, um, I work with. The number I always ask, why are you asking that question? You know, what's the reason you're asking that question? And then the first reaction is because I've been told to. So my tip to any salesperson is it doesn't matter if it's your boss, the CEO, if they're asking you to t- do uh, you know, answer, ask your customer a question, if you don't understand the reason why you're asking that question, don't ask it. And there's a phrase I say quite bluntly to salespeople, wherever I work is, think, don't do, think. So if you just like that question doesn't make logical sense to you, don't use it because your customer will pick up on it. And, you know, let's get real. When you deal with, it doesn't matter what kind of customer you're dealing with, you can only ask about four or five questions in a row without the customer thinking, is this a bit of market research? Are you doing a survey on me? Or they're going to shut down. So you can only ask relevant questions if you understand those questions and you're actually able to engage with the customer because you understand the question you're asking for. So I think that's the missing link understand the question you're asking and the other tip I can always give you and equally explain the reason why you ask that question. So if there's anything a salesperson wants to do, it doesn't matter what product or brand you're in, have a look at the questions you've been asked to ask your customer and actually answer each of those questions with the reason why you're asking it. Because if you can do that little exercise on your own back, you'll feel more confident asking those questions because funny that you actually realize why you're asking them in the first place. No, and I find that to be a skill that that actually managers can deploy when they're doing their one-on-ones with reps, where they ask a question, clarify why they're asking the question with the reason, and uh, and set that example that that's the way. The, it, you don't want it to be an interrogation. You know, nobody no. likes being interrogated. Totally, and you know, George, the best salespeople. You look at them, and you think but you just haven't sold. And they'll look at you and go, I have, because it's a conversation. And what we mean by conversation, it's two-way. <laughs> it's, not just the, it's not just the sales guy barking at the customer and then asking for the business at the end of the call. Unfortunately, those glory days ended 25 years ago, I'm afraid. So uh, one of the other things that you spoke about when you were on the panel, and I thought it was very compelling, and I'm sure there's some people that are listening to this podcast that uh, may be in the market for a job, 
and you talked about some of the things that you shouldn't do if you were applying for positions. Can we can we touch on a few of those? Yes. Um, I think without a doubt, you know, if you're going to apply for a job, you've got to cross-check your LinkedIn um, profile, matches your resume. Equally, when you do go for an interview, make sure you've got pre-prep questions. Um, it's equally about a candidate interviewing the company to make sure it's the right role for them. But equally... I think one of the main takeaways I know I mentioned when we were at Microsoft was um, when a salesperson is actually in an interview, always make sure that you, if you are asked to do a role play, and this is really more for an employer, but equally for a, a salesperson, make sure you actually learn the product before you actually go into the interview and actually have relevant uh, notes. But also, if you are as great as you are, it doesn't matter what role you're in, I always believe you need to bring in something called a brag file. Now, what a brag file is, is any thank you letter, any thank you email you receive, any accolade, any salesperson can come into an interview and say how great they are. But any employer is going to look at it and go, prove it. So if you can take a little binder with a few copies of those emails in there, copies of the awards you've received, it doesn't matter how little, it puts you in a far better position for that role than any other salesperson that you're competing with. Well, I had a manager once that taught me that you should make that file even when you're at your job, because when you're getting shit for doing something and the manager's mad at you, you could pull that file out and say, yeah, I made this mistake, but here's all the good stuff that I did. And actually, a few of those emails are from you or those memos are from you. You hit the dial of the head. <laughs> yeah, some great. It's called the CYA file. Cover your ass. Um so the next thing is, as we move forward in the next five years, you know, I've made this statement and I made this statement in London. You remember the look on some of those people's faces that sales will change more in the next five years than it's changed in the last 50 years. Where do you think we're heading as sales professionals in those changes? I think I've already seen it now. The amount of websites you go on and within five seconds, you've got web chats. Um, it's interesting though, web chat seems to be a real reactive well, web messenger. Uh, when you're looking, just doesn't matter what product or brand you're looking at, there's always someone happy to help, but it's very customer service orientated. I don't think anyone's actually using it to its full extent to actually influence customers' purchasing decisions. Um, and I think that's really going to be a, a real trend because customers are used to, you know, text messaging, SMSing, you know, their Facebook posts. They love interacting with people where they kind of slightly detached and removed so they could they in some ways they feel protected so i think um web messenger is definitely a way forward um i think that's going to be one of the main ones the other one i think really you could see that trend already in most digital space in most tech startups as well is um allowing business products and services to be used free of charge for 30 days and then you already signed up and i think that's going to happen and being the most progressive way but i think the other change is more and more businesses are now not selling over the phone not selling with um face-to-face -face meetings it's actually booking an appointment and then doing a screen share and a screen demo and i think that's going to happen more and more and more as time goes by it's interesting that you say that because you know i come from a space where that's all we've done is screen sharing um over the past six years but the vast majority of businesses are not adopting that yet <laughs> And it, totally it is a agree. game changer. Yes, totally agree, George. And it's shocking. You know, your tech startups, 
they're all screen sharing. Um, but most established organisation, it's like you're talking about the dark arts. Um, it's just so alien. And, you know, another one is email tracking software where, you know, the days of reader receipts is like Victorian Victorian times. It doesn't work. It's irrelevant. But, you know, you've got some great products out there that track your customers looking at your email. You get a little ping up, you know, like your little Skype messenger telling them that George is looking at your email again and George is looking at your email again. Now, they're great tools to help you forecast uh, and predict when opportunities are coming in and also ensure when you are ringing a customer the days of me ringing up a customer saying have you read my email and then saying no knowing full well there's nothing i can say or do about it are well well over now i can ring george up and tell him what george will most probably say funny that i'm looking at your email as you speak and you're sitting there with this little glint in your eye knowing full well but he doesn't know and i think you know, the more sophisticated selling becomes, I think those kind of tracking tools, preset email templates, delivering emails when you know the, the most optimum time your customer is actually engaging, doesn't matter what platform, whether it's PC, mobile, and most probably is mobile. I think more and more of these tools are going to be coming out, uh, out of the box. But it, does, it really depends not on the company that embraces them. I think the individual salesperson with any organization has to adopt them because by the time your company company does you've already missed the boat and i see that often happen that successful rockstar salespeople on sales floors are actually using that technology off their own back whereas the corporation they're working for still doesn't even know they exist let's uh talk to the junior salespeople that are listening to the podcast today because you've got a wealth of knowledge um when you are training a brand new group of salespeople what are some things you layer in as foundation you know here are the things i'm going to teach you first Okay, rule one. The first thing I do it doesn't, when I walk in with a room, a whole load of rookies, I ask them two questions. And this is the scenario I paint for them is I say, you're at a trade show or an exhibition. Someone comes up to you and asks you this question. Hello, what do you do? I get them to write down what they say. I don't say anything more. And then I say another guy comes up to you and asks you a different question. And what they ask you is, what can you do for me? And they write that down. And then I always ask the salesperson, remember, it's their opinion, so there's no right or wrong here, George. I always ask them, which one's right, which one's wrong? And it kind of confuses them, and they automatically assume they're two different questions. And my answer is a starting point. In any role you're doing, it's not what you do. When someone comes up to you and actually asks you what you do, they don't actually care. I am a sales executive. I am a business development manager. What that person's actually asking is, what can you do for me? And the moment a new salesperson is able to uh, write that down clearly and concisely, and more importantly, articulate it, you tend to find it's like a light bulb moment. They actually realize the sense of purpose, what they are, why they're in that job, and what they're able to deliver logically to their customers. So that's the starting point. It's never what you do. It's what you can do for your customer and what that means to them. So I want to ask this question because you are a rock star sales trainer. You train all over the world. How do you train a rep to get ready for the rejection? What are the things you do to train <laughs> for that? It's interesting. Um, this term I use, and uh, I'll translate it in the old way. In the old days, we used to call it closing. I use the term gaining commitment. And what you tend to find, a lot of salespeople, unfortunately, still talk too much. And they may have this great conversation with a customer. And at the end, the customer 
it depends obviously what country and culture some will say no and others will kind of kind of say no but you never know why and then you're chasing the tail for that proposal and opportunity that never comes in so my answer to any salesperson is every time you say something that's logic sell in bite-sized chunks so ask for that customer's engagement or commitment so whether it's can you see that the next point can you see why that would be relevant can you see the benefit there can you see the difference that would make now you're saying the same term but as long as you're getting the yeses and the yeses and the yeses you get a nearer chance for the customer to actually say yes at the end and if they say no at any stage at least then you know you're dealing with a true objection as opposed to a false objection but if you don't do those bite-sized commitment stages throughout a conversation or sale You'll never know you're dealing with the real rejection or not. So to me, that's fundamental. But equally, when you do recommend a proposal to a customer, let them know that you expect a decision either way. And so if if anything that's changed in my time, George, and your time, over the last few years, I always encourage salespeople to say to a customer, look, I'll call you on next day. Let me talk you through the proposal, answer any questions, and then you can let me know yes or no either way. So I think in today's age, you're better off knowing a customer's answer is going to be no, because at least you can then move on and concentrate your energy on another customer winning another opportunity. And I'm sure the countless salespeople listening to this podcast that have chased that customer that never did come in and the hours they spent, they could have won three or four other opportunities. So the tip, top tip for me, bite-sized chunks of gaining their commitment. Getting yeses and yeses at smaller stages will reduce the chances of level of rejection but do you know what if it is a no at least you know and at least you can put your energy somewhere else yeah and it's it's a basic tenant to get the salesperson to understand there's going to be no's and they're not a bad thing they actually are a good thing because you're not wasting your time with someone who will never buy we are just about up for time we've got new salespeople we got veteran salespeople what's one nugget that you would like to leave them with from your years of training sales organizations my top tip for you is Believe in your opinion um, and share your opinion with your customers, but always ask, do they agree with what you're saying in bite-sized chunks? Or as I call it, gain commitment at every stage or every opportunity. And if you can do that, you'll naturally become passionate because you believe in what you're saying because it is your opinion. So, you know, don't take rejection too badly. A no is as good as a yes. But personally, my number one rule, believe in your opinion and everything will follow. We're going to make sure we put all of Rami's contact details into the transcript of this podcast. We want to reach out to him. Um, you know, you are training reps all over the world. So, you know, we'd love to get some of our organizations in touch if they're interested in getting your skill set to help them out. Rami, I really appreciate you joining us here on the Conquer Local podcast and can't wait until our paths meet again. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure, George. Thank you, guys. Sorry for the opportunity. Well, fantastic for all salespeople. It'll be a refresher for those of you that are veterans and for those of you that are brand new listening to the podcast, believe in your opinion and don't do things to shoot it down after the fact. Make your statements and stand by them. Be ready to defend them and make sure that your customer is agreeing with what you're saying. It's just just such a small little thing to do, but it could lead to some big results. The other thing that he said that was really interesting is you can't hard close anybody anymore. You need to be presenting the material that you have in a way that is informative, 
and teaching. And if you do a good enough job of meeting the needs of the customer, the clothes will just take care of itself. And it's hidden in there. He just said it once, but I thought it really, it really spoke to me. You've got to have the drive and the work ethic to outwork your competitors. If you are the hardest working sales rep in the room, you will win, period. And I've saw that happen over and over again in my career. And sell with logic. We are in 2018. Your client can research the crap out of you. Make sure that you're selling with logic and setting those expectations and delivering the truth. Rami Sembi is the president of Aura Sales. Real pleasure having him on the podcast this week. As always, reach out to us on LinkedIn and connect. Concord Local on LinkedIn or George Leith, L-E-I-T-H on LinkedIn. I love hearing from you and love getting your connections. And we want your feedback. Good, bad, ugly, otherwise, give it to us. It's how we craft the upcoming editions of the Concord Local podcast. We have a lot of great additions coming up, so make sure you subscribe and share our podcast with friends so they can subscribe as well. My name is George Lee. I'll see you when I see you. You've been listening to the Conquer Local Podcast with your host, George Lee. Executive producers are Brendan King and Jeff Tomlin. Audio engineering, Sound Lounge by T-Bone. Writing by Michelin Gadet. Marketing by Devin Hennig, Michael Gatioan, and Brian Larson. Produced by Joshua Baker. <laughs>